0: You're listening to the Mind Takeaway podcast with your hosts, Mira and Peter.
1: We held leadership roles, lived in different countries, and had diverse careers, spanning the music industry, online technology companies, and the medical sector. Now, we develop coach and mentor leaders, creative professionals, and entrepreneurs who want to regenerate, improve, and transform the world around them, and inspire others to do the same.
0: In each episode, we explore what happens when you tap into your intuition, creativity, and connection with others. We do this through having deep, fun, and insightful conversations with ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things. In this 50th episode of the Mind Takeaway podcast, we had a wonderful conversation with Kevin Watson a highly experienced leadership and team coach. In 2020, Corporate Live Vire Prestige awarded Kevin Business Management Consultant of the Year. Enjoy listening.
1: So welcome, everyone. We're with Kevin Watson.
0: Welcome, Kevin.
1: Hi, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's great to have you. I know we've had a few conversations now, and actually, before we recorded, we were saying, you know, what are we going to talk about? And what we're both like-minded in terms of what we get excited about and what we're passionate about is the topic of leadership, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You also work with teams as well. Is that right?
2: I do. I, I, I work with leaders uh, one-to-one and I work with teams as well.
1: So So let's start uncovering leadership as a label and uh, no doubt we're talking about labels a lot because of the other podcasts, but uh, what does it mean to you in terms of the leadership piece? That's the first question. And also what I'm curious about, Mira, you, you were talking about this today. We were going to ask you about what. where do you see the skills gaps right now, especially with, you know, I don't want to harp on about COVID and the current challenges, but even aside from that uncertainty of COVID never happened, I'm pretty sure we'd probably be like-minded in terms of some of these skill gaps that still exist in the sphere of leadership and management as, you know, general. Uh,
2: so the first thing is when I'm asked that kind of question is, you know, what is leadership, I guess, is, for me, it's not a position, it's a choice. It's not something that you have as a role, uh, necessarily, although, clearly, within organisations, it's attached to a role, the role of a manager, more often than not. Uh, but I think they're very distinctly two different things, uh, in in a lot of ways. And, and leadership, I guess there's clearly academic research and academic views on what leadership and management are and the differences between those two and I do like the distinction of management being uh, managing and controlling what's happening and getting the best out of what's happening right now and leadership being around change and and so I always when I think about leadership I think leadership is taking a state of taking people things from one state to another state from one place to another place which which uh, is not through the power of telling but the the power of influence and the power of followership and um, and in doing that you don't have to have the role of manager to do that there's some really great leadership happening in organizations all the time but they haven't got a role of manager uh, because of the influence they have and the, the way that they uh, embrace their followership if you like the, the way they encourage their followership is is an individual characteristic not a not a role characteristic so that's, that's kind of how what I think about leadership. And and it, as actually, I was chatting to someone the other day who talked about craftsmen and craftsmanship. And I think there's something similar going on. You can lead and you can have leadership. And, and, and again, there's some subtleties in those two things too. The kind of constant act of leadership and, and refining leadership and getting better at leadership all the time. And leading at, at a point in time, I guess, or in a period of time that is an act, something you're doing, something that is a, a, an excellence in that moment in time too. So there's there's all sorts of like words you know, we just talked about the, the different connotations different people can put on on the words that we use for leading and leadership and leaders. But for me, it, it's simply taking from one place to another uh, through influence rather than through uh, control or power. Mm.
0: Absolutely. It, uh, it looks to me from what you said that leaders have this capacity uh, and, and openness to, to learn and, uh, uh, and help other people learn to to grow and help other people to grow too. Because you can't take a step forward into unknown if you're not ready to learn from it.
2: Yes, there has to be a vulnerability to it, doesn't there? There has to be an admission that we, more than ever in this moment in time, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. So, (laughs) uh, you know, you can't be certain that you're taking people to the promised land. You're taking people in a direction, perhaps, to a promised land. Uh, And and maybe the promised land starts to unfold and and create, rather than it be a destination in in, in that way. And I think that the vulnerability is sure, it goes hand in hand with, willingness to learn and willingness to to say that you're not the master of all, you are uh, a journeyman as well. And and one of the things, as you were talking now, I was thinking, of, and it, I suppose it goes to the question about skills gaps in some ways, many leaders, particularly when we look at organisations and we do associate it with a role, tend to be fixed as a leader. And, and I think more than ever, there's that, someone coined the phrase flip-flop between leadership and followership. And I think there is that. As a leader in today's world, you have to be willing to be a leader and a follower. Mm. Uh, often in the next moment, you know, the very next moment, you have to be a follower, in which case you have to be some humility, some humanity, uh, in high integrity, all of those kind of things, as well as vulnerability and willingness to learn.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would agree on that. You can't really give yourself a label of leadership without those things in place, right? I mean, you can pretend You know, we we can all share experiences where people we've, you know, for example, when I was a leader in, in organizations, I work with leaders who were just managing stuff. They were, you know, dare I say, micromanaging and some of it was innocent because of fear. You know, they didn't really feel comfortable being vulnerable or sticking their head up and saying, you know what, I don't know. And actually, one of, one of the most impactful people I spoke to as a CEO about three or four months ago, and we were asking him, you know, can, can we interview him about leadership research? And I, I was blown away by how comfortable this person was, and how he just always put himself in the shoes of his employees. And he was very open and very willing to be vulnerable, and he didn't see vulnerable as a thing, as a skill. He was just turning up and he said you know as a ceo i've got probably maybe one two three maximum huge decisions i've got to make in that year the rest of it is very small incremental things so the big decisions aside that a ceo has to make i really should be showing up and allowing others to see that actually i'm I don't know all the answers and I'm quite Mm. comfortable saying, I don't know, and go into my people and saying, you're going to know better than me, or at least collectively as a community, as a company, let's work on this together, you know, Mm -hmm. we're all collectively responsible. And I'm... And what Mm. what I wanted to ask you is, how do you see empowerment? Because for me, I... If I recruited someone, or yeah, (laughs) and uh, I didn't give permission to be empowered. For me, straight out the gate, if I'm working with someone, I already have them empowered. I see them as being empowered human beings, and, and I find it strange that companies say I'm going to give you permission when they've already recruited them and said that you're talent. And I find that really strange. I'm just curious, what do you think about that?
2: Yeah, there's a kind before I answer that because there's a, a pet peeve, if you like that particular word, empower. Is, is I was also thinking about. Uh, when you said calling yourself a leader, and it made me suddenly realise, or, or a light bulb, maybe want to explore later, is can I ever call myself a leader? Is that is it incumbent upon me to have sense of self as leader, or is it for others to value me as a leader? And I and I, I'd like to kind of be maybe taking that a little bit further when I when we finish the conversation as well because it kind of fits in with that sense of value. Other people value us. And, and of course, we can value ourselves, but the true value is how other people relate to us. And I think leadership could well be the same in as much as I can call myself a leader, but it doesn't make me a leader. I can consider myself a leader, but it doesn't make me a leader. I'm only a leader if other people consider me a leader. Mm. And, And I guess that's connected in some tenuous way to the second bit, which is about empowerment. I mean, I, I can't empower, how can I empower you? You've got the power, I can take away your power by putting lots of rules and regulations and process. And you know, I'm very good at that, by the way, in organisations, I, I, I've done that myself. So I, it's tried and tested that I can do that. I can recruit the very best people and put loads of stuff in their way that uh, then makes me question whether I've recruited the right person. But it's, that's my, uh, my do it. So I think I really rubbed you out the wrong way when I hear leaders say, or or organisations say we're going to empower the people. I think, well, no, you're not, because they've already got the power. You're just doing stuff that's getting in the way of it. And also their relationship with that word is that I'm not going to give it you anyway. I'm only going to lend it you. Mm -hmm. If I lend it you... And you and you do something wrong with that power or you, you don't do what i think you should be doing because you know we're still in control mm. here in most organizations parent child type mode you don't do what i think you should be doing with that power i'm going to take it away anyway and put lots more blockages in the way so, so I, I i think people don't recognize that others have got power already mm. they think they're giving them power and part of their leadership role in the organization is to give people power Mm. It's, it's a daft notion for
1: me i couldn't agree more <laughs> and what, what i've noticed and um yeah in my last role before Mira and i set this company you know the mind takeaway what i noticed is the the younger generations are less likely to be asking for that you know they don't they don't see it as a permission thing they already have that very clear in the mind and, and people say oh yeah they're in the you know, they, 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 they've they got this sense of entitlement. And I'll say, no, you've got it wrong. Yeah, I mean, anyone can have that individually. You know, that's what I would question. It's not, for me, it's not a generational thing. I've, I've, I've met, dare I say, enti- very entitled older gener- generations as much as I've met young people who come to me, you know, or whatever. So in terms of that piece, <laughs> I, I just find it crazy as well. I mean, yeah, the younger generation don't have to ask for it but still companies have missed totally misaligned and there was an article today in the washington post about exactly that that careful if you're in recruitment and you're recruiting talent these people you don't need to sell these things they already know that that's what they want so if it's not in place in your organizations then you better get it fixed quick otherwise that talent will just either say no to the role or worse still you'll waste time and money bringing them into the organization, getting them in, getting them settled, only for them to feel unsettled straight away. Because mm. the bits that they need are not nice to have. They should have been there for decades, mm. right? In fact, they should mm. have been there from the day that any companies existed. <laughs> you mm. know? I,
2: I, I tend to agree. with you. I don't think it's a generational thing at all, to be honest with you. I think it's a moment in time thing, is that at this moment in time, because I look at you and Ira would be examples of this and many of other people I know would come into this is we don't work in organisations for the very reason that perhaps we don't feel the freedom and the power and the autonomy to do the stuff we'd really want to be doing, the valued work that we'd want to be doing. So, so what it tells me is there's lots of people of all generations at this moment in time, far more perhaps than in previous generations, Through certainly through the industrial era, is, um wanted to exercise their power in a way mm-hmm. that organizations don't let them do so I think there's that thing there and, and I would say even more than that my experience of the generation coming into work at the moment which is clearly very limited in university work that I do with students and the programs that I run with some graduates in in a couple of organizations is they actually although they may have that expectation of power they're actually not very good at it they're still conditioned in some way to wait for other people to give them the power or other people to say it's okay to exercise the power so i think there's still a um a way that we're bringing through generations at this moment in time that is about organizations will provide for you provide the things that you should be doing provide the rules to work with all this Whereas increasingly for me organizations need to move away from that because those those are old thinking that's that's steeped in the organizational design of yesterday mm-hmm. and in today's world that doesn't work it's not working
0: yeah and, and and but what what do you think and i had this conversation with few people in the past usually about the self you know when, when do I change things about me that, that, that are not good or, you know, how do I, how do I learn? How do I go forward? But uh, when, do you, when do you think that organizations, especially the established organizations, big ones, when will they uh, take this change seriously and, and really do more about it? What has to happen? I mean, I know that in certain organizations it's happening, and change isn't something that happens overnight. But I, I still think there is a lot of uh, lot, lot of going to the old, going to you know, I, let's just all of this wait for this to be finished, and then we will go to the ways we were doing it before, you know.
2: Yeah. I think, well, you know, I don't, there could be many reasons. I, I unfortunately, I haven't got the answer to that particular question. Although I might be able to do something about it, but I certainly um, would want to bang the drum and and say, well, how do organisations facilitate this? I think facilitation is going to be a lot of it, but mm. because even though I say, that, you know, I can't empower someone in an organisation, what I can do is create the conditions for them to take the power they already have and exercise that power. And you uh, know, in mean, my own way, I do that with organisations I work with, particularly on the programmes that I've just mentioned, is that I purposefully talk to them about the organisation isn't going to provide for you. And if you wait to be told what to do, you're going to wait a long time. So it's incumbent upon you to reach out and build your network, your social network, exercise your power to find out how you can contribute to the greater purpose of that organisation. And then, and they're set about doing that and start being more creationist than consumerist. And 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 perhaps, organis- I don't know whether it's the right approach to do it, it's just my approach to do it. And if organisations can start doing that, then they might be able to harness all the power that actually does exist and all the intellect that exists and all the creativity that exists mm-hmm. uh, in, in organisations today. But it does demand a rethink about how they... Fundamentally, organise themselves and do business. I mean, even in the last twelve months with the COVID, you know, with flexible working has completely shifted in lots of people's minds about what that actually means. But I, like you, suspect that they're just itching to go back to normal so that they can go back to the kind of practices they had before. Uh, those more enlightened, they still feel, still think they're thinking within the current paradigm of what can they can do, rather than breaking the paradigm completely. Um, And and there's good reason for that, I guess, in some ways, in terms of employee contracts and employee welfare, that you can't just suddenly get rid of some of those contractual obligations. But there must be a contract of employment that's fit for flexible working today and what it actually means, not what it meant before COVID, which was, well, we can move you from a Monday to a Thursday. Mm. It's not flexible working.
1: You know what? It all all goes back to the word control, again, another Mm. label, Mm. It, where, where I've seen companies really rethinking it and putting their hand up and saying, you know what, actually, we can see an opportunity here. We need to put this change in. I can see us going through quite a big transformation. And it, it's, it's you know, there's going to be some speed bumps along the way, but let's do it. And they and they already had a work-from-home policy. And I still know of companies, and I'm in dialogue with people from these companies who are still scratching their heads. They're like, yeah... W- the leadership team are sitting on the hands. They're still unwilling to come up with a work from home policy, even though they have an international, you know, they have people working all over the planet and it actually will be less footprint, better for the planet, less overheads. Obviously it's a no, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say no brainer, but there's obvious reasons, cost implications in a positive way that can, that they can save money. But what did they go and do? They they go, you know, they let load of people go because I understand businesses have to go do that in challenging times. I get that bit. But then they're still sitting on the hands because they don't want to let go of the reins of control. And I think, mm. you know, for, for anyone listening, these are the companies where, you know, we see them in the history books where they don't change. A good example I keep talking about mm. quite often is Kodak as a company, mm. Wonderful mm-hmm. company up until a point where the leadership team and one indip- individual, the CEO would not see there was a new way of doing business. And uh, he he put his hat or hunger's his coat on analog film and he even had two opportunities, two big opportunities, a prototype in-house that he just discounted. And then secondly, Sony said, look, let's partner because this is the future And I want you to have a way in because I can see us having a really powerful, you know, alliance here. And he said no. And then Mm. anyone that gave him new information or anyone that tried to dissent in in a controlled way actually were either let go or he just locked himself in a room and he was in a feedback loop. And that's what I Mm. see many companies doing. And I know it's Mm. innocent and there is fear. And I get that it's uncomfortable to look at, as you say, Kevin, a new paradigm. But mm. what would you say? I mean, what, what are the things that people can do tangibly now? What what action can you take, even if you're still fearful around it? What can we do now that's going to shift us a little bit or move the needle to us getting closer to some of these companies actually taking action? Mm. Because we all know the answer. If they don't, they may not be there in another five years, definitely won't be there in a decade, or at mm-hmm. least that's how I see it.
2: I think as you were talking, I was thinking of my own personal experience of selfages. And my role in Selfridges, and I was fortunate enough to be part of the management team there in the late 90s and early noughties uh, that transformed that business from what it used to be—a very tired old department store—to what it is now. I, 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 mine was a very small part, by the way; it wasn't a major part. Um, and and as you were talking, I was thinking, you know, lots of thoughts were coming to me. One. You know, we focus on the doing stuff. So we think about Kodak. It was this is what we do, so we're not going to deviate from that. Rather than maybe backtrack into what were we set up for in the first place? What what is what is that doing leading to? And and is there some other ways that we can achieve what we actually set out to achieve in the first place? And the reason just came into mind was what Selfridge did in that time was go back to what Gordon Selfridge had set Selfridges up for, which was not to be a department store not to be a retailer in the traditional sense but to be an experience Mm -hmm. and to have um fantastic exhibitions in there like blerio's single way single wing plane that he flew the channel with the first solo flight Uh, it had that in the basement where people would come and visit and see this magnificent airplane the first of its kind and then by the way they would buy stuff and, and so in the 90s and in the early 90s, that's what Selfies did. They went back to that experiential um, motivation rather than the selling goods motivation. So when I think of my own career in my own industry, which I know best when I think about retailers, and then I look at some of the organizations I've been working with in more recent times, the, the, the identity has shifted for a lot of people. You know What they thought they were isn't what actually what they are. And, and perhaps looking at, well, who are we and what are we aiming for here? And then how do we organise ourselves around that to, to do the stuff that will do that and, and achieve that outcome is what they really need to be doing. But that's quite a brave thing to do because we are still... I'm still earning some income, and this we you know we need to get revenue in, and we're still managing to do some, even though it might have gone down a little bit. So to break out there completely and start to, it's a risk to do that. Mm. But I honestly believe, like it would be with any individual that wanted to change, that felt their identity was not appropriate to them at this moment in time, or realised or was able to become more self-aware to realise that is uh, there's a lot of work to be done on that. Um, alignment of what my purpose is, what my identity is, what do we believe and really value here what how do we organize ourselves organize ourselves what are the capabilities we need what are we actually going to be doing and what's the environments we're going to be acting mm. within? I, I think businesses need to overhaul their organization in that way and it's still a brave thing to do
1: yeah i, I would i would agree because it, it sounds to me, Kevin, and tell me if I'm wrong. It sounds like that's about taking stock of your inventory of yeah. I, I love that really good example because that's really experiential from your career, right? So mm. that that's what helps me because I, I can only kind of grasp onto things where I can see that it's a real story. Yeah, we can all give advice and generalize, but it, it's it's much more tangible and. Better for me, at least as an individual, to hear, okay, that's how our company did it for real. And it sounds like it's about taking stock. So metaphorically looking in that massive garage of, you know, what, what were we good at? How did we start? You know, what was our story? And as you say, crucially, now that things have changed quite rapidly, which they always will, let's be honest. I mean, uncertainty yeah, yeah. for us, it's its its a daily event. But I think for a lot of humans, they've been jolted into reality. And and for many, dare I say, leaders or CEOs, they're probably thinking, wow, didn't think about this in the frame. I've just been going very fast, making money, which is fine, not judging mm-hmm. that. But now I've got time to reflect. Let's do something tangible. And that sounds like a meaningful first step thing you could do a starting point right to take mm. stock of you know what have been been good at what things can we use and where do we want to be in the future and what needs to be refined or dropped away or what can we lose now um i don't want to use the word lean because that's another <laughs> shonky label isn't <laughs> yeah. it <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely yeah, no, I, I think well, there is some tangible things to be even if it's within a team within an organisation. You can start to look at that kind of things. What's your code of practice going to be within the within the macro climate? How can you uh, put something in in your own context? How can you reevaluate what you're here to do, what your context is, and maybe enough people doing that. It might be a groundswell, perhaps from the people that do that and brave enough to do that within organisations to show how good it can be. but mm. Again, we're fighting human nature to, to some extent and need to control and order our environment is against the natural order of things or disorder of things. So, mm. you know, the, the world around us is in a constant state of entropy mm. and we're constantly trying to shape it so that it's okay and ordered for us. So we, we are kind of fighting. It's almost like we, we need to have some chaos, but we hate chaos. So, <laughs> yeah.
1: No, you don't. Right? Tell me about yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uncertainty is what humans are good at, but we just forget that. And, and you did, right? I mean, just to reflect on COVID as a, as, a, as a marker right now, if it's not COVID, I mean, we say this a lot, right? Mm-hmm. It'll be something else, you know. And again, it's not for me predictor of doom and gloom because I actually believe in humanity. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing or having this conversation. But it, mm. it's, it's just reflecting on that, that, OK, we don't really know what happens in the next hour, let alone next week or six months. But instead of scaring ourselves and sitting on our hands, let's get curious. And you talked about it. Curiosity for me is key with humanity. Mm. We can't help being curious. That's what's got us and driven us as a species. And it's only the fear that kind of paralyzes, right? You talk about this mm-hmm. a lot, that it's okay having fear because we all cannot stop that happening individually or collectively as a species or an organisation. But just reflecting on, okay, is that really true or am I thinking too far ahead? Let's think about what's going on right now. And I did not about for, for you, but that just instantly gets me back in the room and I might mm. still be feeling uncomfortable. But I can see a little bit clearer, Clearer, you know, my state of mind's changing to more clarity. But if I just mm. sit in fear and I think ahead or in the past, you know, I can't do this because it happened, you know, I had a bad experience three months ago, so therefore it's going to happen again. You know, just to put the brakes on and say, is that really true? That really helps, right?
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm at my best when I'm in the present, but it's, mm. it's often a, a challenge for me to be in the present. I mean, they're thinking about actually I don't think about the past as much as the future. So the future probably worries me saying, oh God, that bill's coming in next week mm. or oh, I, you know, my diary is looking a little bit flat in March or whatever it might be mm. will send me into that kind of worry and that that fear cycle. But once I as you say once you bring yourself back in the future and go, actually nothing's happening at the moment, it's all right. And and if I just let unfold and start to move forward at time with that positive intent, not necessarily I I, I I struggle, I suppose, personally, which is a strange admission from a coach <laughs> around, around goal setting and planning and making the future more concrete. Part of me is drawn to that because I think the more you can make it concrete on your mind, the more possibility opens up to reach that point. The more you become attuned to it, whether, whether that be through spirituality or through cognitive abilities, you start to be drawn to opportunity for sure but but equally i think it's always dangerous to be attached to some of that stuff because something over here might appear that you weren't expecting that might be even more exciting um more even more fulfilling than i'd begun to even think about um and and so i, I it's i don't know the answer you know, you can't live in the present totally without having dreams but I think they need to be more dreams and imagination based. I mean, when you talk about curiosity. I think curiosity, yes, imagination, under exercised at the moment,
1: of course, yeah.
2: in, in humanity. Because you know, if we had our imagination, there'd be so many more things that we'd be tapping into the technology advancements that we've we've had. You know, we're, we're only limited by that for sure. Accountability, choice, and, and taking responsibility—those two things. I think those three are the. Going back to perhaps earlier question, the, the skills and or the attributes that leaders should be exercising mm. more are, are certainly those amongst them. I would mm.
0: suggest mm-hmm. it's interesting though that you, you mentioned this goal setting and how it can be. It can be good if done properly, and it can also be very limiting and damaging if it isn't. And I and I keep on, you know. I guess that's the thing that I'm drumming on to to my clients. It's it's more like a desire of where you want to go and then checking in in a present moment, as you say, you know, what is going on around me right now? What, What things have changed? Is there anything? Because I think people... And And it's you know what's really also interesting to me that people tend to start creating goals when they f- when they feel insecure mm. when they feel scared, uh, and when they start dousing things, and this is when they start creating goals. And then I got to do this, and I've got to have this in order to be okay and you know, to feel calmer, to feel better. But actually, what they should be probably doing at that moment is centering. Uh, be more aware of, of where they mentally are. Uh, and and then from that space of creativity and uh, uh, clarity of the, of the present moment, then think about what they want to achieve. Mm. That makes more mm. sense, isn't
2: it? Yeah, for sure. I, I think there's some similarity between what I think about, it's not something more I need, it's something less I need in order to be more fulfilled. Or, or whatever the word might be. So, you know, what's what's getting in my way at the moment? What all the stuff that's going on for me internally, uh, the kind of emotional stuff that spaghetti that's in there that, that's through learnt experiences in the past that might be stopping me even seeing what I actually want <laughs> yeah. in the first yeah, place. Yeah. Then, so, so I agree with you, the kind of more stillness you can get, the more grounded and present you can be. In, and and not judge those interferences but start to be more aware about those interferences so they start dissipating themselves it's uh, it's, um uh, you'll you'll be familiar with the kind of sort of metaphor and and stuff like that i remember working with my daughter some years ago talking about something problem she was having and i asked her to describe it to me what's it like and she said it was like this massive purple ball and wrapped up and i said okay so just sit there and look at this purple ball and tell me what happens And, and and after a while i mean it's great because children have great imagination so you know it it wasn't a purple ball anymore that kind of shifted it changed shape it changed color a little bit but but things can't stay the same again it's that constant state of whether it be entropy or just change it's things always change so if you try to do stuff with it try to work on it often that's harder than just recognizing that hey you've got a big purple mess inside of you interesting let's just take a look yeah. at it and yeah. get
1: curious about it. <clears throat> yeah it goes back to that exploration and curiosity again and yeah it's a segue back into the skills gaps it sounds to me like okay if you if you're depends who you're recruiting right but I would want, if we set up all three of us now, set up a new organisation, I'd hazard a guess that we'd all agree that we want people who can see that they're empowered straight out the gate. We don't need to explain that because we could ask them the right kind of questions as coaches. They're super curious. They want to be creative and they don't need to be asked to be go off and know that they've got to take a certain responsibility. Because another another label that's also causing a lot of confusion in the leadership world is who's responsible, right? And it's mm. like, yeah, well, I'm the boss, so I'm responsible for everything. I was like, oh, are you really? Mm. Let's, let's mm. explore that because that, is that really true? Because if you're doing a great job, you should be in the background, mate. You know, <laughs> you should mm. be so subtle. I mean, all of the best leaders that I really resonate with, and that's how I learned to be, I wouldn't say greatly that that's for other people to measure, right? But I thought I got some traction because some of the best people who made me feel psychologically safe were there with a gentle hand on my back, but they weren't pushing me, micromanaging me. They were there if I needed it. You know, mm. they'd appear in the flash, you know, if if I was really upset or had made a mistake and I was really low. But when I was just doing my work and in my element, they were nowhere to be seen because they didn't need to be. And it wasn't like I was like, where are they? Because mm. I felt comfortable, empowered to do my job because I didn't need permission. Yeah.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. Uh, uh, the facilitation again, isn't it? I think for mm-hmm. this facilitation skill is, is one big skill for today's world to help make things happen or help to shape the environment as best one can so that people can reach their potential. It's, it's again it's basically the interference thing is that what do I have to take away that's getting in the way of people being at their best at the workplace rather than what we still are doing I think is what policies do we need to put in what rules do we need to put in in order for people to be their best mm-hmm. and and I, I think that if you start looking at the other side which is what do we have to take away then it might be more illuminating it might be more um you know it might find a better way forward and the other thing that was the kind of sprung up was and I, I still think it's always dangerous to keep heaping this onto leadership and saying leadership needs to change or the way that we lead needs to change and like of course that's partly true but i also think that there's still a a demand for superhero leadership uh, and you've only got to look at what's happening in the uk at the moment and i'm pretty sure that it's going to be happening in other countries as well Is we're looking to the government to tell us what the plans are in a a period where who knows what the bloody plans are i mean it's just ridiculous and and people aren't taking responsibility for themselves and whether that through educational social norms or whatever it is i think we have to not just look at organizations but look at how do we start to reconstruct social norms or go back to again it might be interference it might be what do we need to start deconstructing to get back to perhaps years gone by where there were more um egalitarian type societies there were more tribal ways of working that weren't about the superhero leader they were just wise old people that helped uh, shape some thoughts perhaps and and help Mm. people think more clearly Mm. within the social construct so I think there's there's a, a need for us to as societies as communities as social Groups is to start thinking about how do we need to start to behave differently? How do we want our future generations to start to behave differently, so they can take more responsibility, more accountability for themselves, and and therefore not rely on the leader to sort stuff out, but rely on the leader for something else. What's the leader's role going to be in that situation? What are the leadership? traits that are going to be really important mm. in those times.
1: Yeah, it's not sustainable, is it? Because it, there's too much pressure on one individual. And I've always said that. I've always pushed back on the whole the CEO is the oracle, so to speak. And the, I mean, yeah, it, it is a tough gig, let's be honest. It is tough at the top because you are as I said before, you're making some really big critical decisions. But the best CEOs that I've ever spoken to or I've worked for are people that are like, look, I know I've got that pressure. I took that role. You know, I've earned it and I'm gonna I'm gonna really Hit the ground running, but I also empower all of you lot without giving you permission. And I'm relying on you 247, and I'm going to come to you. For me, it's a two way street, right? And yeah, I mean, Mm. the British government, I don't want to get into politics, but yeah, don't get me started on that. (laughs) But I I don't blame them completely. I also blame Uh. all of us collectively as uh, a nation for not taking action ourselves to be empowered again and actually realizing that we have our own resilience. We are there to make decisions for ourselves because you can't rely on just one entity or one individual. I mean, it's just too top heavy for me and we all have to have, I mean, It's probably the wrong way of explaining it, but I see everyone as a leader. I mean, I'll give you a really tangible example. We speak to someone the other day with their child and I see them as a really good leadership in terms of being a parent. And if you can already do that as a Mm -hmm. parent, then you can take the lead in being a, a good leader in your community. It doesn't mean that you have to be paid to be a manager or have any responsibility that way. It's just a responsibility for yourself first and foremost. And again, if you want to have a great life, it's having that responsibility for the community, for your own nation. We can't blame, mm. you know, a, one government or one leader. It, it, it's just an easy way out, right? And I, I just mm. don't buy it. I mean, I don't want to mm. get into finger pointing and say, oh, that's lazy, but it is a little bit, right? <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. yeah I'd, 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 you know, I'm a great lover of the government at this moment in <laughs> time, or for some time, to be honest. But uh, um, but I don't blame them for for stuff they're doing at the moment. Uh, and I don't blame society in many ways, What I am disappointed, increasingly more disappointed, that more and more people are seeking clarity on the legal thing to do rather than the right thing to do, and haven't quite worked out yet that even if the government say you can do this, it's not necessarily the thing you should be doing Mm. at this current time. And more and more people are just so blinkered where it was seeded in god only knows i i blame the 80s personally but i think that <laughs> we kind of shifted from community base
1: oh thing to individual based yeah, yeah. To,
2: and uh, you know what's what about me and even though it's starting to shift with younger generation being more in tune i still think that they're doing it from an individual base rather than thinking about communities and caring for each other i don't think it's it's coming through as strong as that um yeah it's it's interesting though
0: but you, you know what really struck me through this conversation uh it's it's the it looks to me that we really need to show everyone that they can be a leader and mm. and and uncover this in them because then you will have accountability then you will have ideas then will you then you will have you know this Collaborative way of solving complex problems. The organizations have that. They just did not empower people. They don't know how. Uh, and so, and it's interesting because now I'm thinking about uh, the the new program that we thought of would be actually really good for organizations. Is to teach, not to teach, but to create programs in organizations that actually work with middle management, with supervisors, with employees, not just top, not just people in top leadership positions because, you know, it, they are the ones that actually can solve everything, but everybody's just looking. up oh, you know, this is this is for leaders. This isn't oh, sorry. I just, and and so it, it just really struck me that this seems to be the conversations that we are having right now.
1: Yeah, and you know, what? You come, sorry, go on, Kevin.
2: Sorry, I was going to say, have you come across Paul Thomas, Dr. Paul Thomas. Uh, uh, okay, so Dr. Paul Thomas is a, a friend of mine who lives down in Wales and uh, is a Doctor of Complexity Theory, and um, I think, I hope I'm doing him justice on not. And wrote uh, a couple of books about those. A couple of books that he does. He has a, a mission. I'm not sure he kind of bangs the drum and says it's his main mission because there's other things he's hmm. interested in too. But he, it was exercised or illustrated in a programme he did for the BBC about ten years ago, maybe twelve years ago now, called Ban the Boss. And he went into uh, blind Gwent Council down here in Wales into three different areas in the council. First one was transport, second one was refuse, and the third one was recycling. And he said to them, I can get rid of your managers for three or four weeks, your managers and supervisors, so that you can start to make the decisions on future of your department. Is that something you want me to do? Refuse said no, because then you'll blame us, even though they don't like their managers. Uh, Recycling said, well, we don't trust you. Dem- demonstrate that we can trust you and then we'll we'll consider it and he did he sorted out a payroll issue and uh, that had been there for a couple of years uh, uh, a disparity in colleagues salaries and uh, and therefore they they got rid of their managers or supervisors and did really well in a period of three to four weeks but then wanted their managers supervisors back um because they still wanted to hide behind them a little i think
0: Mm-hmm. and
2: then the transport they said yes please we'll get rid of them straight away because we don't like them particularly <laughs> one of them uh, not in these words but they they got rid of them just redeployed them they weren't out of work redeployed them elsewhere in the council and the transport area went from they self-organized themselves very quickly there was some chaos and people juxtaposition about you know some mini power going on i dare say at some point but very soon they were past that and worked really well as a team unit to the point where they opened up their doors to do MOTs for the public. So they were generating revenue for the council rather than just being the cost center for the council. Um, brilliant example. And they uh, three or four weeks passed, and Paul went back in and said, Do you want to have your managers back? So, well, we'll have the manager back because he's got some experience we think will can be really useful, but it'll have to change the way he leads, the way he manages. We don't want a supervisor back because it was just a jobs worth type person. So they brought the manager back. There's a scene in the canteen and this manager's sitting there going, look, you guys have done more in the last three to four weeks. He's very humble, very honest, said you've done more in the last three to four weeks than I've done in the last three to five years. And so I'm going to change my approach. And I, I'm not sure whether he said he was going to become servant leader, but he certainly that's where he was heading to be a servant leader to them. So I think there's some really great. I mean, that's one example of Paul Thomas. But there's many examples of where organizations have done exactly what you're saying is saying, look, we recognise middle management, frontline management. You have so much information, power, whatever it might be. That um, you know, let's let harness into that and let's take
1: advantage of it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I could not agree more. Completely. And all the organisations that I work for, they were just when I say they that those middle that middle sandwich, they just felt disempowered. They, they, you know, there was some really good top talent in that, but they weren't listened to. And, and again, it was sometimes innocent because things were going too fast. But th- that was the thing. If you start to listen to those people, all of that money that companies invest in the wrong things, let's be honest, they, they spend millions on engagement programs, but they're not listening to the middle layer of management. And they're sorting out most of the problems. They're actually in a rock and a hard place because if the company's not going in the right direction or they've got a toxic environment, the middle managers are going to be getting it you know getting a lot of heat because of that and then they're going upstairs you know and saying right this is what's happening what can we do and then they get ignored so yeah you're dead right and i love that example i think we talked about it last time actually yeah yeah it's a great example he's a
2: good guy to listen to. Uh, the the other thing is it it was going through a minor was talked about was when i was at selfridges i was looking to bring in a motivational questionnaire for first line recruitment and uh, I was chatting to a company that provides such a thing and she was asking me some really interesting questions which i would never thought of before one being how much you pay your frontline staff and I told her sales staff I told her roughly the banding and I said how much you charge your manager uh, pay your managers and I told her why do you pay your managers more than your frontline staff and I couldn't answer it other than that's the way we've always done it because mm-hmm. we've got that hierarchical ladder so again going back to earlier conversation or parts of this conversation, what one organizations need to do they probably need to dismantle the linear career path mm. that everyone expects to happen is mm. that I expect to become a manager I expect to become a, a leader recognized within the organization when I may not be fit for it it may not be the right thing for me to do it may not be the right thing for the organization to have all those great skilled people that are brilliant welders and now managers of welders not very good managers and they've lost brilliant welder I mean it's just crazy because the only way I'm going to get more money Mm-hmm. and and do the things I really want to do, which are outside of this organisation, they're not in it, you know, are going to be taking a role I don't really want. Absolutely. Mm. Well, it,
1: well, that circles all the way back to being a servant leader because if you're a servant leader, you're going to make those honest, you know, tough decisions and say, actually, you're not the right person. I think that's a really good place to leave it because if, if you even ponder that, in an organization that probably sets you up for getting insights or realizations as to what you could maybe do as a next step. What I wanted to ask you, Kevin, is there any part and wisdom or anything that occurs to share for people listening? And uh, if people are curious and excited about what we discussed and want to reach out to you, where's the best place they can get in contact with you? It's
2: always a good place to, to, to connect and, you know, I, I write things and I curate articles of similar nature that we talked about. It excites me and uh, reach out to me and, and open a dialogue, really, I guess, is the best way to reach me.
1: And obviously listen to your podcast, right? Oh, absolutely.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks. Thanks for jogging my memory. You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. Take a listen to the podcast. <laughs> thanks. Thank you very much for being our
0: guest and uh, sharing your experience with us.
2: To me. I've really enjoyed it. Great
0: conversation. Thank you.
1: You made it to the end of this episode and we appreciate that. So thank you.
0: If you're looking for coaching, want to develop your leadership skills, improve your team's performance, get more creative or strengthen your business relationships, please check our website, www.themindtakeaway.com or drop us an email info at for more details. We would love to hear from you.